It is a tremendous luxury for me to have the opportunity to make sure everybody feels welcome, wanted, calmed, excited. And then I, I want every finisher to feel like they won the race. And while I, I completely respect the speedsters up in front, I'm, I'm going to claim favorites. My favorite people on the course are the back of the Packers. I think they're the grittiest, the most surprising. You know, when you look at someone and think, how the heck did they get to the start line? And then all of a sudden they're at the finish line. I just, uh, I, I love them so much. I'm, I'm so blessed to do what I do. Welcome to Power Up Your Performance, where we talk about how you can learn to think, feel, perform, and live like a champion. Hey, hey everyone, welcome to the show. My name is Kim Peek. I am your hostess and movement coach, helping women use movement as a catalyst for change. And today I am excited to share this interview with Fitz Kohler. As many of you know, if you've been listening to the show for long, I am now, as of August, a five-year breast cancer survivor. So when I saw this story about Fitz, who is one of America's most prominent race announcers, the voice of many of the big races that you have raced at, Los Angeles Marathon, Philadelphia Marathon, Big Sur Marathon, DC Wonder Woman Series, and more, I had to bring this to you. Fitz is a recent breast cancer survivor, and she's the author of a new book called My Noisy Cancer Comeback. It's a tale of how she found her breast cancer on a race announcing weekend and then continued zigzagging across the United States announcing at running events throughout her entire treatment. If you love running, health, fitness, or if you just want to understand what it's like to go through the breast cancer journey, you will love this interview with Fitz. Welcome to the show, Fitz. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Oh, thank you, Kim. I'm really excited to be here, and I think we have a lot in common, a lot to talk about. I know we do. We kind of started talking a little bit before we recorded, and I thought, oh gosh, we better hurry up and start recording because we might miss some good stuff. Mm-hmm. So you are the voice of a whole bunch of major races that I am. I probably have been to myself and that my listeners have been to. Can you tell us a little bit about what that world is like and what it's like to be a race announcer? Yeah, I am the voice of some pretty spectacular events. I mean, I put my schedule up against any other race announcer in the country and I want mine. I think I have the best. I announced Big Sur, Buffalo Marathon, Philadelphia Marathon, Los Angeles Marathon, OC, St. Pete Run Fest. I host the DC Wonder Woman and Batman Run Series, which is mind-blowingly fun, and a whole bunch of other events in between. And, you know, it's a great gift for me because two things. I'm an athlete, so I am a runner. I know what it's like to be one of you, right? So when people line up, I have that uh, personal experience to draw on. I know what it's like. And then as a a lifelong fitness expert, I care so much. I respect my athletes so much because where all the people are just sitting at home on the couch doing jack, sometimes an organization gives me 25,000 people who said, hey, exercise is a good idea and I'm going to pay for it and train for it and show up for it in my coolest outfit. And I'm going to try real hard to get to that finish line. And so I, I just love it. I think our running community is made of the absolute 
best people in the world. They're always trying to do something good for their own health, their community, great causes. And it is a tremendous luxury for me to have the opportunity to make sure everybody feels welcome, wanted, calmed, excited. And then I I want every finisher to feel like they won the race. And while I I completely respect the speedsters up in front, I'm going to claim favorites. My favorite people on the course are the back of the Packers. I think they're the grittiest, the most surprising. You know, when you look at someone and think, how the heck did they get to the start line? And then all of a sudden they're at the finish line. I just, uh, I I love them so much. I'm, I'm so blessed to do what I do. Oh, I love that. And I love the nod to the back of the Packers too, because when you think about everybody has their own challenges, but when you think about how long it takes, some of the back of the Packers are taking two or three times more time than the actual winners of the race. I would say that I think is a whole different story about what that does to your body too. I would say almost exclusively all of our champions will tell you they think it's much harder to do a seven and a half hour marathon than it is to do a two hour, 30 minute marathon. The the time, the will, the discipline, the mental fortitude is just tremendous. So yeah, I mean, it's I, I get to work in a, a way that makes me smile nonstop. And obviously with my last year, it was nice to be able to take the attention off of myself and just cater to everybody else. I love my runners. They're mine too. I take ownership. They're not the runners. They're mine. (laughs) Yes. I read your book and I noticed that you call them your runners, but I want to touch on what exactly happened in the last year because you kind of have a big deal going on in your personal life last year. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So as a fitness expert and the girl who does almost everything right, you know, I'm never perfect in any regard at all, period. But I was a girl who ate mostly the right foods and exercise most of the time in all the right ways. And so December, 2018 went in for my annual mammogram. And I've always preached that annual exams are a really smart way to save your life. My entire career has been full of promoting that, but yeah, I got that clean mammogram posted on Instagram said, Hey guys, go squeeze your stuff. I did mine. And less than seven weeks later, I was in a hotel bathroom at a race weekend and I rubbed my under boob. I was naked in the bathroom I had an itch, thank goodness. And I scratched and I went, "Uh oh, there it is. And it was a bean and I shouldn't have been there. And this is a pivot point. And I hope everybody takes this seriously is I did not call my mother. I did not call my girlfriends and cry. I did not Google it. I picked up my damn phone and I made a goddamn appointment, excuse my language, but it's that important. It was about 30 seconds of finding the bean to picking up my phone Within a, a week, I had the mammogram ultrasound biopsy. A couple of days later, I was told I had breast cancer. About a week and a half later, I started chemo and my life was thrown into a spin cycle. Um, so yeah, yeah, it was 21 rounds of very mean chemo, 33 rounds of radiation, a couple surgeries, and now I'm on the other side, thankfully, with a full head of hair and a happy, healthy smile on my face. And I love the smile and I love those braids oh. for People who are tuning in who aren't aware, I am also a breast cancer survivor. I was five years cancer-free in August. And I remember how exciting it was the first day my girls tried to braid my little tiny hair. Because I also was not happy about the whole hair loss thing. But you handled that like a boss. Tell us a little bit about what it was like to lose your hair while you were traveling the country announcing races, or maybe you even want to back up a little bit and tell us about that part, what you were doing during all of your treatment. 
Well, I can tell you that before I started treatment, I just made a very firm decision that I was not giving up my career. I decided I earned my rightful spot on those stages. I love my events. I love my athletes. And if they're all out running races and I'm at home being a sick person, I would cry all weekend. I would cry every second. So I decided no way I'm going to be there and I'm going to do my job and perform as expected. And I also decided I wasn't going to miss any of my kids' special events. And no matter what hit the fan, and when I think people look at me now and they're like, oh, she had an easy time. I was dragged behind a horse for eight, for 16 months. I was violently ill nonstop and in a regard where I had uh, IV fluids almost every weekday for easy. six or seven months. It never stopped. And I would show up at a race. And someone would pick me up and drive me directly to a hydration salon to get IV fluids, or they'd bring me to my hotel and there'd be a nurse waiting for me with IV fluids. So it, it took a little small army to keep me going. And when I, when I was on stage or at a race, I performed top notch. I never had a, a blip. Well, I did kind of have a blip, but anyway, so the hair loss <laughs> backtracking, I have chemo. And then 11 days later, I need to get on a plane to fly to Los Angeles to host my largest event of the year, which is a Los Angeles marathon, 25,000 athletes on marathon morning and about 10,000 the morning prior. But yeah, the hair started falling out and I, and I was already a mess, you know, as strong as I am, as smiley and optimistic as I am, it was a really painful process. And I tried not to drag anyone else through it with me, but I would sit in my car. I would sit in my bathroom and just sob. My heart was breaking. I was scared. I was stressed. And I just, I, I never freaked out, but I did break down. You know, it was one of those things where I just, I was a basket case a little bit. And my doctor had said that I would likely, I said, when will my hair fall out? And he said, probably on day 11 post chemo. So I said, okay. And sure enough, on day 11, I'm brushing my two feet long, long, blonde, thick hair and it's coming out in the hairbrush. It's coming out way more than normal. And I think, oh man, here it is. And I thought, well, I'm just not going to brush my hair because Friday morning at 6 a.m. I had to fly to Los Angeles. So there I was with this hair issues. Now I got to get on a plane. And I thought, well, I just will finger brush it and it'll be fine. Well, that lasted for about 24 hours. And then the hair, you know, started coming out a little more. And, um, you know, it, it, it was a painful weekend. But on Sunday, when I got to my finish line stage right in front of Santa Monica Pier on a very tall tower on a very windy day, my black stage was covered with long blonde hair. It was it, it was just twilight zone. It's one of those experiences you couldn't you couldn't come up with. You know, you couldn't even dream it would happen like that. And my announcing partner, Rudy Novotny, thankfully is also one of my best friends, man. He worked so hard to try and brush the hair off the stage so I wouldn't see it. And, um, you know, if I was announcing, if I was on the microphone, I was genuinely happy, et cetera, et cetera. But when I pull back from the microphone, thank goodness I was wearing sunglasses because I was just booing. It was a schizophrenic day, but I do feel that I was very fortunate to be doing what I was doing. Yes, it was stressful having that happen in that way. But to be surrounded by so much joy in the middle of a really hard time was a wonderful way to just pull myself out of it. And on the flight home the next day, there was hair everywhere, all over the plane. I was apologizing to the people around me saying, oh, I'm so sorry. And they were, they were saying, oh, it's okay. And I thought, no, this is gross. I've got hundreds of hair, pieces of hair everywhere. 
And the second I landed, came home and my family gathered around the kitchen table and I had my hairstylist come over and shave my head at my house so I didn't have to cry publicly. And it it was hard. It was really hard. And it was very strange. And being bald, um, I I tried a wig on or a couple wigs and I just decided they felt weird. They made me sad. So fully on that, I wasn't going to do anything to make me sadder than I was. And I decided to just own bald. I didn't love it. And I had to fake my smile sometimes, but I think I put on a good show. What do you think? Well, looking at the pictures in your book, which we will get to in a little bit, I think you are absolutely gorgeous with that bald head. And I remember also being so self-conscious at that stage. And I bought a really expensive wig with the real hair, a long wig, and could not stand it. Mm-hmm. And so, I, so my chemo took place more toward the fall and winter. Okay. And I started out wearing cute hats. And then I was like, I'm just going to wear stocking hats. So I was a stocking hat person. I rocked the stocking cap. <laughs> <laughs> but I was so self-conscious about the bald head. And then when I go back and look at the few pictures I took, I'm like, you know what? I could have done that. I really could have. Yeah. It, it wasn't that bad which I think people don't understand unless they've been in those shoes. Yeah. And, you know, to each his own I, I, I or her own, either way, you know, I totally think everybody should do whatever works for them. But I've never really defined myself by my appearance. So I just thought, you know, I fortunately I'm, I'm grounded enough to just feel that I am who I am and my value comes in my ability to help people live better and longer and make them feel great and stuff. So I was able to hold my head up high, but I definitely, I had, I write about it in the book where I walked into the cancer center and I went over to um, the coffee shop, maybe to buy a bottle of water or something before my treatment. And the coffee guy, he goes, Hey buddy, what can I get you? (gasps) You're a ma'am like that. And I just was shell shocked and, and I didn't have the ability at that point to laugh it off and go, ha ha, no big deal. And I just, I went, (laughs) everything came out and I walked, I just kind of left the coffee shop and I went into sign in and there was this lady, Shirley, one of my check-in girls. I actually just saw Shirley today because I had a follow-up appointment and she's so sweet, but she said, what's wrong? And I was, I said, and he called me a guy and I look like a boy. And I kind of did look like a boy. I couldn't have, I couldn't blame the guy. So she, every time I saw Shirley and even today, she always says, Hey, gorgeous. Hey, beautiful. So, um, I learned that day that I would not leave the house without lipstick. And so we were talking about before the recording, I have a thing that I'm wearing lipstick. Now it's really important for me to look girly. I've, I never thought that I used to be a competitive kickboxer. I mean, I'm a rough and tough. My mom calls me her dirty Irish kid, but apparently that was something that mattered. So I I don't know if I'll ever leave the house without lipstick again for the rest of my life. (laughs) I think though, there's something about being bald that for me at least made me feel like people were going to look at me and think I was sick. Yeah. And I mean, you are sick, but I didn't want people to think I wasn't capable of doing things. It just really bothered me, but it was funny. It wasn't until the very end when I was all done and my hair was starting to grow back when finally the very first person that I was at least aware of finally said, Hey mom, what's wrong with that lady over there? But I only had one the entire time. And I was so afraid. Yeah, I had a lot. I definitely was the poster child for cancer. And I I walked, I went everywhere with my bald head and 
Um, I never wore a pink ribbon. I still haven't. I don't wear anything that says breast cancer survivor. It's just, it doesn't serve, it doesn't serve me well. So I don't, Mm -hmm. but people knew and people were very kind. And sometimes people would ask, you know, so tell me, did you cut that on purpose? Or, you know, they, they kind of edged their way into the conversation, which I appreciated, but I, I certainly didn't want the bald head, but it yielded a really big outpouring of love from strangers. And not only the people I know, but my airport experiences were pretty incredible with the bald head. People are nice. People like to pick on Americans in general. They love to pick on us and call us bad. But I think we're definitely the kindest group of humans on earth. And um, I, I know this because I went all over the country and I was treated supremely by thousands of strangers. So what was it like to try to keep up this travel schedule and the energy that's required to do that job? What was it like trying to do that while you were exhausted and feeling like barfing all the time? Yeah. Yeah. So what I can tell you is that when I was actually working, uh, those were some of the best days in my life type things. So I'm fortunate that my profession brings, I was able to run on adrenaline. You know what I'm saying? Surround me with 15,000 athletes. And I go on, you know, I would literally spend the night sleeping on the hotel bathroom floor, sick as a dog. And then 4.30 AM, my alarm would go off and I get up and I put on my stuff and I just, I felt horrible, but I thought I'm moving towards that stage. And I would get there. And the second I stood on the stage, I got, it's like someone hit my on switch and I became full force Fitz Kohler again. Not only with the big booming voice on the stage and so forth. But at the finish line, I'm pretty scrappy. I get down with the athletes. I run around the finish line. If people want to have hugs, I, I give them finish line hugs. Some people, I grab their hand and I run them through. So I'm a high energy announcer. Now I could tell you all the moments in between were super rough. I mean, imagine if you had the, say just any sort of stomach bug and then you were in the airport or stuck on a plane, you know, or it was just my stomach disagreed with me in every circumstance. It was hard to find food. My, my taste buds were gone and then my, my stomach was cranky. So it was tough. It was definitely tough. And I would say, you know, there's a, there's a point in July uh, at the Wonder Woman Denver race where I actually almost hit the ground. I almost, wiped out or passed out in front of everyone at the start line. I didn't thank goodness, but, um, in May, right after the Buffalo marathon, I was still in Buffalo and the race director had a dinner that night. And I said, I would go and I was toast and I had felt so bad. I felt an unusual type of bad, you know, there's you feel bad. And then all of a sudden there's some more stuff going on, but I was out of town and I didn't want to raise a stink. And I remember being at the restaurant And then I felt like I was in a foggy tunnel and I couldn't hear what people were saying and I couldn't eat any of the food. And I, I just asked, can someone take me back to my room? I probably should have asked to go to the hospital, but I'm stubborn and stupid sometimes. So I ended up being admitted two days later. It, it, It was chaotic. It was chaotic. And I could have called the book adventures in breast cancer because it was, there were so many highs, so many lows. And, you know, I'd go from being on stage with Batman on a Sunday night in Los Angeles. And then the next morning I was back at the chemo chair in Florida thinking, oh, wait, I was with Batman yesterday. How am I getting chemo today? It was just very, very strange and makes for a lot of good stories. Today's episode is sponsored by Iris Digital Media Group. It's a marketing agency I started with my daughter, Abby. 
If you own or run a small business and wish your products, services, and ideas had more visibility so they would get the attention they deserve, if you are so busy running your business and working with customers that you are inconsistent with your marketing efforts, if you got into business to do that thing you're passionate about and would rather not spend time learning about social media algorithms, YouTube, video creation, and graphics creation, we can help. Head to irisdigitalmediagroup.com or send us an email to set up a free consultation. I'll include all the links in the show notes. We would love to talk to you and see how we can help. Yeah, so if I have the timeline right, you were finishing your treatment right as the world was being hit with our other wonderful thing we're facing right now, which is COVID. And so you get done with this. And I'm sure as you're in your stages going along, you're thinking, I can't wait to get back to announcing with everything normal. And you still haven't really gotten a chance to get back to a normal life. How has that affected you mentally or just what you're doing right now to cope? Because I would think that that takes away part of how maybe you got through things. Yeah, I was really looking forward to feeling great, uh, you know, completely while announcing races. So what's interesting, and I I don't dismiss COVID, and I hope nobody takes that, but after you face cancer, you know, I, I never, with cancer, I was officially the most immunocompromised person on earth. And I never missed a flight. I never missed an event. I never missed an opportunity to hug a sweaty, germy stranger. My life is better with people. My life is better with smiles and hugs and interaction. And I chose that for myself, even when I was vulnerable. So it's very interesting to put it all out there during cancer care. And then for someone my age group, the survival rate for COVID is 99.999998. And, and, and of course, I'm sitting there thinking, are you effing kidding me? We're shutting down the effing world for 99.9998. Let's protect the old folks and the high-risk folks and go on living. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, obviously, I dislike this. And, and again, I'm not dismissing COVID. I know a lot of people have lost their life or been sick. I don't agree as a fitness expert. I have yet to hear Dr. Fauci or any of the other fools in charge say anything uh, helpful like, okay, guys, let's work on building a bulletproof immune system. I want every American to go out and buy five different produce items of different colors and consume them every day because that makes you a resilient, healthy person with a strong immune system. Instead of shutting down every gym in the country, let's make sure they're open 24 hours a day and make sure every American goes out to exercise at whether you're at a park or a field or the beach, let's go out and exercise because that's what makes you healthy, strong, and resilient. So I've seen absolutely zero people talk about actual health care. There are people who focus and benefit from sick care. And uh, I, I truly believe it's been handled wrong. I know you didn't ask this question, but it's a little bit of a soapbox. And, you know, even worse are when they shut down annual exams and regular doctor checkups, so many people who would have been diagnosed with stage one or two cancer are now being diagnosed with stage four nightmares, which they will not survive. And so when you, when people say the cure should not be worse than the disease or issue, I believe this, this cure of shutting down society and limiting freedoms of people to take good care of themselves. I I think it's a, it's infuriating. (laughs) It's infuriating. And I'm really excited that races are starting to pop back up and people are getting back to their uh, annual exams. And um, 
they're gyms. I think it matters. Health matters. And, and this is, you know, that my health got me through my care. My doctor said, Hey, listen, I know you suffered tremendously, but if you didn't come into this as strong and fit as you were, you would have spent a month in the hospital. You would have been on a feeding tube and there's absolutely no way you would have been able to travel around the country announcing those races. So health matters. Yeah. I'm just sitting here nodding for the people who aren't watching our video conference here because (laughs) You, you touched on so many things that I think are being forgotten and are not talked about while we're going through this. And there's so many things we can do to yeah. be more healthy uh-huh. and to take better care of our bodies. So that if we do catch COVID, we're more likely to be able to fight it up or put up with the treatment or whatever the case may be. For decades, I've been telling people, hey, your health matters. Let's clean up those arteries. Let's lose the weight. All of this stuff will enhance the quality of your life. You need to get out and exercise. You need to stop stuffing your face. You need to drink more water than beer. And it's not complicated. Your health matters. And now you understand that. So let's take action. Let's take action. Health matters. Boom, rant over. Sorry. (laughs) No, I love it. I love it. And then I think also you touched on something, another hot topic for me, which is the mental health aspect by isolating everybody. it, It causes other problems. And it's proven that interaction with other people, relationships, connection, improve health and health outcomes. And so even just thinking strictly about running, or even if you could do an outdoor boot camp with your gym friends, Right. Anything you can do to run with people, walk with people, separated on the trail by your six feet, whatever it is, should be encouraged. And I, I just don't hear very much of any of that because those are social and will help people cope with what's going on. Hey, I think within the running community alone, registered runners, we have 21, 22 million people a year register for a race. I could easily... Um, believe that 50% of those would happily wear one of those I hate running shirts. And they're simply involved because they love the community. They love events. They love the experience. They love the reward of getting together and celebrating with people at a start line, celebrating at a finish line. They love the free shirt. They love the swag. They love the medals, the bling. Of course they do. And, you know, it's those motivational factors that get people who hate running out to go run or go walk. And and I, I use the term running loosely. If you're not familiar with the running industry, the running industry, maybe there's 20% of the people who exclusively run. And then there's 60% of the people who do some combination of running and walking. And then there's 20% of the people who exclusively walk. And there is no pressure for anyone to lift their knees, propel themselves off the ground. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's quality of life. And when you're just hiding out at home and you're a normal, healthy person with kids, kids, kids should be out. We've spent 30 years trying to get people, get kids off the computer, you know, get outside, go make friends. And now we're like, no, stay inside alone in your room. Don't even go to school. It's just, it's insane. Health matters. And I hope people take that from this conversation. Okay. So now you just transitioned us to another thing (laughs) that is a passion project for you. You have a kids running program, correct? Yes, I do. I do. about that? It's called the Morning Mile, and I created it in 2009, and it's a before-school walking running program that invites every child to participate every year of every day of the school year at no cost, and the faculty and families are invited as well. And so, 
kids show up at school, they get a 30 minute window to walk as slow as they want, run as fast as they want, do as little or as much as they want. We provide music, we make it welcoming, we offer a great system of rewards. And my morning milers are extraordinary. I have the program in over 400, 400 schools worldwide. And to date, they've run millions of miles. And while some programs say only girls or only boys or only this age or whatever, I crave mass impact. I want everybody to move and we don't set small goals. So some programs say we're going to do 26.2 miles over the course of a month, which is great. I don't poo-poo that. However, with the morning mile, I say, you know, we just unleash the kids. We say, do what you want. And because of that, we have elementary school kids running six, 700 miles in the school year. That's amazing. Yeah, it's just about, you know, hey, come on out, have some fun. We'll play some music. We'll give you rewards. You know, you decide what you want to do. And everyone's invited and they're, they're extraordinary. And so the program... Many of our schools is still going. Many, the schools that are shut down obviously don't have the morning mile. And then we have some schools that are going that are not letting their kids walk or run before school, which seems outrageous. But uh, hopefully this year will be over sooner rather than later and we'll get back to it. But the morning mile is probably the best thing I've ever done professionally. And one day, hopefully 60 something years from now, when my time has come, I would like morning mile etched on my tombstone. Awesome. Yeah. So what does the school have to do to get involved with that? Great question. They just have to reach out to me at morningmile.com. There's a little link that says something like apply for your program or get started. And so they connect with me and then I help them through the process. That is such a needed thing. And I'm sure that that will impact kids well beyond their years in school mm-hmm. and probably impacts their family because there's probably a lot of families that get, jump on board with it once the kids are getting more active. We have so many uh, family success stories, moms who've lost a ton of weight because all the parents, not all, many of the parents go out and run or walk with their kids. And, you know, they're out there pushing the stroller, some of them, and and then they report, this is changing my life for the better too. So I'm really proud of the morning mile. That is so awesome. Okay. Tell us anything about the book that I didn't ask that you want people to know how to find you all those things. Yeah. So uh, two things with the book. It's, well, first of all, it's called My Noisy Cancer Comeback, Running at the Mouth While Running for My Life. And it's a memoir. And I wrote it for two reasons. Number one, I, I, I am very proud of the way I got through it. And I think the mental strength matters so much. And so keeping perspective goes a long way. If you have a newly diagnosed friend or you've been through it, or just you're someone who needs a little boost. We talk a lot about perspective. I never had a pity party um, because I wasn't a kid going through it. Wasn't my kid going through it. And fortunately for me, it wasn't one of the more typically lethal forms of cancer. So I decided that no matter what came at me, I was going to be okay. And I was just going to persevere. I kept my passions, which allowed me to have some sunshine in those dark days. And that matters so much. Even if you're in the hospital, if you're a true animal lover and you can't be with your donkey, fine. Watch the dodo, those funny little animal videos on YouTube, all of that stuff matters. And then positivity, perspective, passion, positivity. I realized I wasn't getting any extra points for being the saddest girl in the room. So if someone said something funny, I was going to allow myself to laugh. And so there's a lot of that stuff in the book. I also covered so many things that nobody ever tells you. And so when people are diagnosed with cancer, you know, um, oh, probably be sick and be tired and probably be bald. Not all, not all people are any of those three things. However, there's this entire category of 
bizarre side effects that nobody tells you about at all. And I think I hit those pretty hard. I mean, the fact that my eyes changed colors and my fingernails rotted off while still on my hands, it just was crazy. And so I talk about it, I think, in a really fun way. People say, you know, I cried a little, but then I I laughed a whole heck of a lot more. And the reality is, is some of the things regarding cancer can be funny. It's so crazy that is funny and it's okay to laugh and it's okay to laugh together. Like I said, this book has been given out to so many cancer patients and survivors as a gift and the feedback has been fantastic. It's also ideal for someone who just wants a peek inside or behind the scenes of the running industry, because I think I delve pretty deep into that. So if you're a runner, a walker, you like racing, you probably will enjoy some of the antidotes. So if you want to buy the book, it's available in hardcover, paperback, audiobook, and ebook. It's available wherever books are sold. However, if you come to fitness.com, that's my site, F-I-T-Z, N-E-S-S.com. If you come there, I autograph all of the books and you can tell me who to sign it for. And I also include a fun little gift with purchase. It's my sticker. It says, I, ah, sorry, I can do hard things. And that was a little bit of a mantra for me. And I, I didn't realize I was even doing it, but as I would go into a scary scan or surgery or any, any number of scary things. I was telling myself that and I was saying, okay, you've built a big business. You're, you've raised great children. Those are hard things. You can do this. And so I encourage people to put it on the back of their cell phone and keep it as a handy reminder of what they're capable of. Um, so yeah, hardback paperback books available at fitness.com. And I would love people to follow me on social media. I'm at Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at fitness. And here's the deal. I love it for you to follow me, but more importantly, I'd love for you to say hello. I'd love for you to say, I, I heard you on Kim's podcast. And I want to, I want to reach out and connect because I like friends. And as many of us are people starved, I like the people. So please follow and p- please say hello. And yes, I will put all of the details that you just mentioned in the show notes. So if anybody was out running or driving that they can <laughs> Go and refer back to that and get all of that. The book was really great. And I just kept finding myself. I could not believe, because I always say that everybody's experience is different, but I could not believe how many things that happened to you also happened to me. And I was like, gosh, I didn't ever write that down. I forgot that was a thing. So as a cancer survivor myself, I really related, but I agree. There's lots of great running industry stories and Just if you're a runner, you will also like this, or if you want to relate better to somebody who's going through it. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of universal themes, whether someone's got colon cancer, brain cancer, blah, 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 cancer. It's, but, but I think it's just an interesting look inside only because before I was treated and and I've had a variety of family members die in front of my face from cancer. I had no idea some of this other stuff was going on. And, um, yeah, it is. It becomes laughable, isn't it? <laughs> Did you yeah, laugh? Yeah, yeah. And and I feel like I was one of those people that really had a lot of the things you're mentioning with the positive mindset. Yeah, I ran my favorite 5K that I do every year took place on my first day of chemo. And so I was sitting in the chemo chair and I said, I'm going to go run that race when we're done. And my husband looks at me like, no, you're not. And I look at my oncologist and he's like, Hey, if you feel okay, just go. And so I did. That's crazy. And, you know, because that first day, for me at least, I it never hit me the first day. It was the next day or the day after. But, you know, you have those ups and downs. So I took full advantage of the good days. 
and listen to my body on the bad days. Smart. So, I mean, I felt like there were a lot of parallels there. Well, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. And to all of our runners out there, I hope you come see me at a start and finish line really soon. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. I'm Coach Kim Peek of Power of Run, and you can find me at www.crushingmygoals.com or on all social media as at sign power of run. If you liked this episode, be sure to give the podcast some love over on iTunes and remember to subscribe. As a new podcast, your reviews and stars and subscribes will help me grow the audience so that I can share my love of health and fitness and bring more experts to the show. Power up your week and I will catch you next Tuesday.